Empire of the Sun. Suns. Empire of the Suns. See the shots that I took. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. This is an Arizona sports special. Phoenix Suns are the focus for Empire of the Suns with Callan Olson and Kevin Zimmerman on the Arizona Sports app at 98.7. Welcome back. Hour two of what Radio Voiceman just told you was happening. My name is Callan Olson, and we have a big development in between the breaks. I just realized, Kevin, me jokingly saying that people are actually going to think that there was a signing or a trade, and I immediately am apologizing to everyone and profusely, again, on my knees. I'm very sorry for doing that. I realized in the moment how much a mistake it was because I'm going to make a joke. Now I'm not going to make the joke. Now I just feel really bad about what I just experienced. <laughs> he like, can't do this Oh my live. God, what did they trade? Who did they trade? Like, no, nothing happened. I'm, I'm very sorry. What did happen over the weekend, Kevin, see? He, he can do it. He can do it sometimes, so not every segment is. They signed seven players in a weekend, Kevin. We talked a lot about this in the weeks leading up to this and how about... I went on a lot of shows, on a lot of podcasts, wrote in a lot of places about how the Suns are going to like retain some of their guys quickly, probably. But outside of that, be ready to wait. Because what any smart, and not to call their signings right now idiots, but what they did was they signed right away when they could have taken their time for a couple of days, looked around, got feelers, waited for that one team that didn't have a trade or a signing go through to make more money. And what is apparent is that all of those guys... The all seven guys, uh, the bird rights thing we talked about for a while, Tory Craig and Jock Landale both moving on. They were two guys who the Suns could have paid more money to. Bismack Biombo is still a free agent right now. He's a guy that could have paid more money to than the minimum because of those bird rights. All seven guys, I think, had a case and had a reason to wait with free agency or at least hear from other teams. Maybe they got their feedback instantly and were able to make this decision. They nearly have a full roster now. In fact, their roster is full. It's overflowing. In fact, they have one more extra spot to go through. But those seven signings, again, for those of you not in the loop, Josh Akogi and Damian Lee are back. Eric Gordon is here. Yuta Wadnabi is here. Kate Bates Diop is here. Drew Eubanks is here. And Shemezi Metu is here. All seven right there. He didn't even wow, hesitate. Yeah. Look at him go. He's, he's starting to get into a groove here on July 3rd, the day before the big old holiday. Which one was the most important, Kevin? Which one? Which one was... Of greatest need, what filled the needs the most? I, I guess I should say Eric Gordon because, like you laid out in our first segment an hour ago, he is going to play multiple roles. Biggest being shooting, stre- stretch the floor out to the four point line, the imaginary one that doesn't actually count toward four points. He can play basically as your backup point guard. He's going to take a lot of duties off Devin Booker. Bradley Beal, I just think that's the obvious one. If anyone goes down, he's going to slide into those more primary roles. Um, So he just covers a lot of ground. And again, I think he's a pretty good defender. Um, People don't think of him as that, but he's solid, especially when he plays for the Clippers who demand that of you. Keita Bates-Diop, I think, is really close second because when you talk about value in wings and, and the value they got in making all these moves, most aside from Gordon, within an hour or so of free agency opening on Friday, he was the one where it's like, oh, like they they drafted Tumani Kamara because you need wing defenders, switchable, um, and Bates-Diop is that guy where even a, uh, he's kind of a super small ball five, but like he can play three to five and he can shoot and he can stretch. And I think they're going to find a role for him, even though I, 
like when you look at the roster, it's like hard to fit him in, but I, I think he's going to come in handy. The way I tend to look at this answer exactly is who was poised to make the most money out of all of these guys. And I think Eric Gordon could be a pretty decent answer there. I I can't help but come back to Josh Okogie. I was yeah. very surprised, not only with how that happened immediately, but just with what he had done. We were having conversations when we were going into exactly what he was positioning himself for, kind of peeking briefly ahead to next offseason during the season, kind of looking and being like, well, they're not going to be able to bring back Josh Okogie because he's going to make $10, $12 million a year with the year that he's at. Remember, he was shooting like 38% from three <laughs> I was gonna over say, a quarter of the season. If if he had shot decently in the playoffs and not been played off the floor, I know NBA front offices are probably smarter than this and don't overreact to things, but I don't no, think... They're not, to be clear. Okay. Most of them are not, no. <laughs> no, that's why, yeah, they're there and we're here. But if he had done that, I think there was a good chance he would have gotten a lot more money. And I think that oddly him kind of falling off a cliff as a shooter might've really helped the Suns here in this season. Continue. Sorry. Yeah. Do you have pickleball thoughts? Uh, I just know tennis player friends uh, despise these people, but I also enjoy people having fun. It looks legitimately fun, but it's also annoying how much people talk about pickleball. Like I've got people and friends who play pickleball, and it's like, cool, you got a new hobby. That's great. I'm very excited for you, and it's athletic, and it gets you out there and going as well. But it's just like boring tennis. Tennis for idiots? <laughs> I don't know. Man, At least you watching can't, it. These TVs in here. This is live podcasting. This is, ex- the- this is exactly what Aaron had in mind. Yeah. us to do not <laughs> one but two hours. Pickleball, the pickleball segment is here. Yeah, just criticizing a lot of people who are Look probably, at that little survey. There's actually people listening in their car who are on their way to play pickleball. Right <laughs> they're they're on their way to, they're turning around Thanks, and man. coming to here, and they're going to protest against what you just said. Anyway. Like you said, it's, it's nice that everyone has a hobby, and it's a sport. We love sports around here. I go Kogi still as the most important signing. I think that Gordon was just, we were in a 48 hour period where it felt like that wasn't going to happen. So I was kind of already getting used to the fact of like, yeah, it was probably too much to expect them to get more on ball equity. And that's fair. So I, I have to go a Kogi one, but I'll go, I'll go Gordon too. I think pretty, pretty defiantly. In fact, I think the only argument for a Kogi not being one is because Jordan Goodwin exists and they can be looked at as similar ish players. But I think there's a big difference between what Josh did on, again, he was he was uh, from, I think it was the post-KD injury of the ankle tweak up until KD came back until the end of the season. Josh was third in the team in minutes. Mm-hmm. He was a legitimately huge part of a very, very good basketball team. And him showing the ability to do that, to contribute to winning to that level, has him there for me. But I think from a skill set perspective, Eric Gordon is by far the most unique. Like he he checks so many boxes, and that's why there's such a big um, difference between him. Do you want me to get hot takey here? Sure. Are we sure number one isn't Drew Eubanks? I thought about that because of the possibility that they could still trade DeAndre Ayton. Uh, we have to mention that, I guess. The Talk veto about- power coming off soon matters. The let, rumblings matter. Let, let me change. Yeah. Let me change conversation for you because okay. you have fatigue just like I do. <laughs> do you think that there's a chance that Eubanks put, puts on Jock Landell esque pressure onto DeAndre Aiden, but in the regular season with what we've seen? See, that's now? the most interesting part because we've seen this every year, right? It was Rashawn Holmes. It was Aaron Baines. 
It was Landale. Am I? What year am I missing? I'm missing a year. McGee. Yeah, JaVale McGee. Eubanks has that where you know what you're going to get from him. Um, does he have a three-point shot? There's like a little no. evidence. I don't think he's going to just suddenly start shooting it. He's getting listed places, but he took 15. He doesn't take long twos. Can he make the right pass? Yes, I think. Um is he an excellent, excellent, excellent defender? I don't know if he's that excellent. He is definitively better as with his dribble, which is important with the short rolls. They're going to be seeing short rolls if you're not familiar. <laughs> Guy sets a screen. Bradley Beal or Devin Booker gets trapped immediately, and they have to throw the ball to the center while they can. So the center, instead of waiting to roll to the basket and get like 8 to 12 feet away, now they're 16 to 20 feet away, and they have to make a little bit of a play. DeAndre, to be clear, has made huge strides in that department and has been pretty solid. But I think everything I've seen from Eubanks, he's better with as a dribbler, getting to his floater, getting to hook shots, yeah. creating his own offense, those kind of ways. And as a shot blocker, like it's not close. I'm trying to talk myself. As a as an overall rim protector, I think DeAndre's better. But as a shot blocker, which yeah. is a part of the game that matters still, he's better. So I'm I'm talking myself through this because when you look at him, he's only 26 years old. Like there's upside to his game, and I think he he's not. Like in this box of we know what we're going to get as far as the skill set. I think he can take it a couple clicks further. And that's where you start to say, oh, like he has more chances to go for 20 points than Jock Landale. Um, Like I I agree with you that he should be in that conversation. Yes. I think that he's third for me. And that that was the that was my pitch for him being third, basically, is that I mean, they, they let Jock go get paid and like, yeah. They saved money in that respect because what he's getting like eight million a year from the Rockets. Jock is, and they initially extended that offer or the qualifying offer to make him restricted, and then pulled it. So they went a different direction. But I'm just saying they valued Jock, and then they decided, oh wait, we think we can get this guy instead at this value. That means we probably think he's better because Matt Ishbia has proven if he thinks a player is better, he's going to pay it. And to be clear, just to say it, Eubanks is the second best backup big they've had with DeAndre and I would say the only guy I put first is McGee because of his regular season production but if Eubanks can hold up in the playoffs for 12 to 18 minutes like it seems like he's been indicating at least with a little bit of scheme versatility that he has then he's for sure number one and in that case he goes up there because getting those productive minutes at a position like that matters and then there of course is the reality that we could very well live in where we're in December talking about DeAndre inconsistencies again and you're talking about like should you just trade him and start Eubanks are we at that point now where they're just playing better with Eubanks on the floor I think that's a possibility and having that little bit of insurance there like you do with Gordon at guard is going to help a lot has happened over the last couple of days but are the Suns done we'll get into that next Arizona sports the local sports leader this is an Arizona sports special Empire of the Suns with Kellen Olson and Kevin Zimmerman. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. As the man said, what's his name, Aaron? I keep calling him Beto Roy. <laughs> okay, not going to talk Our about Our voice that. guy? Yeah, what's his name? That is Jim Cutler. So is Jim. Jim. So I'm teasing big old Jim. <laughs> Jim Big Cutler. Jim right there. Jim with yep. the big old radio voice man. As Jim said... Welcome back. Empire of the Suns, live edition of the podcast. Two hours we're going. We're over halfway through. Kevin, the Suns have done so much that we could have done a four-hour show. Honestly, we're here at two trying to jam everything in, and I think the conversation naturally turns toward after the first weekend 
when the Suns have signed seven players. They now have 16, not guaranteed contracts, but 16 standard contracts to Monte Camaro reportedly signing to a standard deal. We anticipated that he was going to be on a two-way, but now he is not on a two-way, which means they will have to release at least one player by the start of the season, so it doesn't have to happen for quite a long time. That could be Isaiah Todd, which has been uh, kind of like we've been kind of not uh, anticipating by any means, but speculating is the word I was looking for. Ish Wainwright had his team option accepted, but his contract is completely non-guaranteed until the middle of January. But with that in mind, we look around the team, look at the depth chart, look at things like that, Kevin. Do you think any do you see anything that they still need to do? Does something feel incomplete, incomplete to you? Honestly, it's really hard to think of that other than how good can these guys be as defenders individually. Um, I, I think we know the answer with Book. KD has always been, uh, doesn't get enough credit for it, I think. Um, I guess I have big questions about all of the outside signings in terms of, all right, Drew Eubanks, Chemezi Matu. Kata Bates, Diop, um, and even the like Jordan Goodwin, like have they and can they play heavy minutes in the playoffs if they're asked? And and that's mostly about defense to me. Um, maybe shooting because as we saw, Kogi got kind of pushed out of the rotation at times. And that's where I'm wondering how this team will perform and if guys are just going to play like they did in the regular season for the Trailblazers and Spurs and Wizards because that is a big difference. Um but I, I like their options, and I like as an overall roster construction. Again, the versatility makes it so that if one guy is just not doing it for whatever reason, they will have a replacement for him. But I, I think that's the biggest concern for me is just that a lot of guys on this roster haven't done that, and it's kind of like 2021 where we went in and there that was about starters, and if DA and Mikel could do things in the playoffs like that in the regular season, but for role players, that's certainly a different kind of conversation. I think it is, and I kind of just sort of look around exactly at what else they could feasibly do. Like, I, I again, people s- suggesting more so than speculating, people were asking for Kaddish and bring in Tory Craig. And it's like, you at, at a certain point, you're going to arrive at a juncture where there are only so many guys who are going to come in here. The huge difference that I think didn't get talked about with the Eric Gordon thing and something I was going to bring up in writing but just didn't get around to it in the piece because it's already so freaking long for editors like you who have to spend 12 minutes editing something that should take you twice as less time, but that's what the kid does over here, is that he came here in a signing, and I think that's a lot more important than to him being traded here. And what I mean by that is here, when we were talking about Eric Gordon getting traded here two years ago or a year ago, it was like, okay, would he be okay with playing 15 minutes or seven or three or 27 or four, would he be okay with a varying role? But him coming here, I think it's pretty clear that he has a chance to close games. I think it's pretty clear that he has a defined role. But with that being said, I think he understands as well that he's going to have to compete for his spot. And there's a lot of competition here for these types of roles. If you're looking at another wing specifically, there are so many guys competing for these minutes already. Like I do think I keep mentioning Tumani Kamara because he has an NBA ready skill set. If he's knocking down threes and his defense translates the way that it could, he could play right away. Ish Wainwright has weirdly sort of over the last couple of months of the season, he became one of the 
people, uh, one of the players on the team that fans were targeting the most just in terms of being upset by their level of play. He's not knocking down shots and he has to. He's got to get that number in the high 30s as opposed to the low 30s for his threes. But I thought defensively, he made huge strides and was a legitimately impactful defender at times and an overall plus on that ends. We've talked about Kata Bates' Diop a while. We've talked about Jordan Goodwin and Josh Okogie. Is another wing really going to come in who could factor into the playoff rotation, potentially come in and try and battle with those guys? I don't really see it, and I don't really see a reason why to at the, at the same point because you do wind up with redundancy at a certain point. Is something you've talked about in different ways as well. I mean, when Torian Prince was released right from the T-Wolves or an option wasn't picked up, he signed with the Lakers. But if like he was on the market and was like, I want to go to that team, and that team was the Suns, then that would be a great problem to have, right? But that's kind of stuff is already, I think, taken care of itself. I, I really think what's left is, okay, with Frank Vogel being your coach, you know how to enter this. Like, I don't I don't think anyone has to ask their agent or talk to Frank Vogel to know what they have to do in training camp, right? If you're Isaiah Todd or Ish Wainwright, you have to go in there and be like, I better defend like I've never defended before, and I better knock down shots. And honestly, like if Ish Wainwright has a terrible training camp as much as everyone loves him, like maybe he he gets released for Isaiah Todd or or whatever, or Tumani Kamara has a terrible training camp, then this doesn't work. And, and that's where I think that this team is going right now is they want that competition. Like Matt Ishbia probably doesn't care about paying out whatever is the minimum salary for that long to figure this out. And like we've, Frank has talked about in every interview he's done since he was hired is I want to from day one have this identity where we're going to just outwork people. And I think that's where, especially in the wing group right now, you're going to get that competition immediately. And maybe there's going to be some surprise if someone's just playing out of their mind. Maybe they are in his mind better off and we see a super surprising move. I don't think so, but that's kind of my way of saying this is going to be somewhat interesting from a back end of the roster situation because I, I think they have it pretty much wrapped up and, and finalized, but it's going to be a very interesting, you know, convo. Um, and it goes off of who's the fifth starter, I guess, too. You ready for me to say the thing, Kevin? Oh, okay. Yeah, let's do it. We are not out of the woods yet with a potential DeAndre Ayton trade. I think there is still a chance that DeAndre Ayton can get traded. I feel better about that after seeing the first weekend that they had. I think, first of all, from how deep they are, does it mean it adds a necessity to trade him for those two to three potential players that we talked about? Not necessarily, but I mean, if you look at this and you can get that clear-cut wing that we're talking about in the Akogi, because you've got the clear-cut backup big in Eubanks, you've got the clear-cut other ball handler scorer, and Eric Gordon, I think you've almost got the clear-cut shooter in Watanabe or Lee, but can you get that clear-cut, defensive-minded wing who's potentially the fifth starter? Can you get another one of those guys in a DeAndre and Trey? I think there's value that makes sense there, too. And then can you just get another center who could compete with Eubanks for the starting spot? I feel better about how the roster is positioned to take the loss in value on trading DeAndre Ayton. I think that if you trade DeAndre Ayton now, you are not going to get... That half dollar on the dollar, you're going to get maybe a quarter and a couple of dimes, maybe a dime and a couple of nickels. But I think that the Suns would ultimately be in a position where they could be, could be 
better off if they make that decision. I think their roster is positioned to do so. July 15th, we believe, is the date when his veto power on a trade comes up. It has hardly been talked about, but that's what the date appears to be. And also is the one year it comes up where he can be traded to the Indiana Pacers. Remember, they had the original offer sheet that DeAndre agreed to. The Suns matched it. That put that year timeline in place. That ends in mid-July. Once we get in the third and fourth week, Kevin, I see the sunny skies. We are indeed out of the woods, but for now, I don't think we are. Coming up next on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. What else happened across the NBA? What jumps out to us, not only in the West, but the East? We'll recap a bit of the first week in free agency from the NBA. That's on Arizona Sports, the, sp- the local sports leader. I want to know who my representative here tonight. This is an Arizona sports special. Empire of the Suns with Kellen Olsen and Kevin Zimmerman. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Explain Welcome back. Unfortunately, Drake not joining us for this segment. That would be, wouldn't that be great if we were just like, and on the phone now, we've got Toronto Raptors fan. Can tell us a bit about the Fred Van Vliet signing in Houston. Drake, how are you feeling? Welcome to the show. Everybody get your. I kind of got there. I don't know. What's up? I can't do the voice. My name is Kellen Olson. I co host a podcast. It's called Empire of the Suns. We talk about the Phoenix Suns, and I do it. With Kevin Zerman, he's here. We've been doing a show for two hours. We're going to do a show for two hours. We're an hour and a half in. Last half hour to go. You want to look at the league, pal? Yes. Can I Can I trigger you on something? <laughs> you, you know how to more than most people in, in, in a toxic way, both good hey, and bad. Go ahead. Hey, what did the team that's paying out the most money on free agents, I believe, I assume it's the Houston Rockets, um, Fred Van Vliet got paid... Mm. Dylan Brooks is not going to China, it turns out. Got- Get ready to learn English, buddy. <laughs> Get ready to learn barbecue, buddy. Barbecue, okay. Jock Landale got paid. Congrats to him. Shout out. We celebrate that here on the podcast. Yeah. We, oh, yeah. Go whenever get anyone gets paid, we love it. Bruce Brown, we're celebrating him. Everyone I, who went to Houston, I don't care. If, get it. I don't care if you don't deserve to get paid. Congrats to Dylan Brooks and all these guys. Um. They spent a lot of money in these guys. They're putting some quote-unquote veterans who are doing veterany stuff around their very young core. Do you like it? Does it make them legit? I think I know the answer from you, but why don't you tell the people in their cars and on their computers and on their phones? Just to be clear, Jock Landale is a guy who made, I think, like $4 million to this point in his three NBA seasons, and he's going to make seven and a half or eight next year. I hated this. I hate what the Rockets did. It's terrible, but I love it at the same time. I'm kind of conflicted, but I think I just mostly hate it. And maybe that's my negative side coming out of me as it tends to in situations like this. But Houston is in a very interesting position and they're worth bringing up here to start the show, to start this segment, I should say, on the Suns, because all of a sudden you look at them making moves, spending a ton of money in the Western Conference. You're like, oh, is this another team? Is this a team that's going to be like New Orleans? Dallas, Oklahoma City, where they're on the edge of the play-in conversation. We were saying, if the Spurs do something, if Wembenyama is a top 30 player in the league right away, which we have to say out loud because he's an incredible talent, could Houston be joining the ranks? No, Kevin, they're going to be really bad next year again. <laughs> they're not going to be good. They paid Fred Van Vliet, and I like it, because as Suns fans know and people listening, Valley sports fans know, the impact of Ricky Rubio, he is not necessarily on the top four of 
why the Phoenix Suns are what they are right now, which is they're one of the premier organizations in the sport right now, and they are able to say that because of those four guys and the reason why they were able to get guys like Eric Gordon, Ida Watanabe, Josh Kogi, and so on to come here on discounts, quite frankly, to be honest, is because of what guys like Chris Paul, Devin Booker, James Jones, and Monty Williams did, but then there's another tier down there. That's where Tsunami Poppy is. Still a free agent. Someone pay that man. He's still very good at basketball. I know very good is a big word. Oh, you put up 20 <laughs> points on the Hornets, Kellen. I don't care. Shut up about him. It's like, no, he can still be a very good basketball player. He didn't fit in Golden State. Charlotte's just a, a wasteland uh, no, right now. Don't we don't even get to the reasons why they are. He'll, he'll figure it out somewhere, but he's there. And Ricky Rubio is there, too, because of what he did for this team and what he taught for them to win, how he taught them to win, how awesome of a teammate he is. And Fred Van Vliet, not only for his Ben Taylor rant, which is one of my favorite NBA moments in the last five years, when he ranted about how terrible a ref was. We've all had days like that at our jobs, Kevin. And that's the thing. We talk to these people after their day of work is done. And I have days of work where I'm venting in someone on the car ride home. And on the car ride home, Fred Van Vliet had a microphone in front of him, and he wanted to tell everyone how bleep and terrible Ben Taylor was, who was an official's name who I did not know until he said it out loud then. He goes there on four years, $130 million. He is a very good player. He's a very good teammate. He's won a championship. He knows what it takes. He's going to teach a lot of the Houston guys how to win. For everything good that he brings in those qualities, you add on Dylan Brooks for four for 80. I understand looking at hidden value there and saying, okay, this guy is second team all defense, averaged a lot of points per game. People forget that he's a scorer, was once a better shooter when he got controlled by someone playing 2K whenever he takes his shots now these days. You add in Jock Landale, four for 32. It's a very misleading contract. I think people can look at that and say, oh, I'd rather have Eubanks for two than Landale for eight. Well, Houston right there is just trying to spend more money. They had to get to the salary floor. And with someone like Landale specifically, his contract, I believe, is only guaranteed for the first year. Four for 32 is what he signed for. So they can look to move him and use him as a bigger contract to help facilitate deals. Jeff Green, one for six. That's more in line with the thinking there. But what I hated about what they did, Kevin, was... They traded K.J. Martin, who's good. Like, he's mm. just good. Uh, a good forward, a starting caliber wing. Jumper needs to come, but he's like a he's a roller. He's like a screen setter. He's a weak side rim protector. It's a very unique skill set that he brings, and they had to offload him. They had to attach. They got two second-round picks, I believe, back for him. And then Ty Ty Washington, who is someone with Phoenix roots, and Usman Garuba, Josh Christopher, former ASU product, all three of those guys, Washington and Garuba, former first-round picks. Garuba won the top 20, I believe. They just dealt them for second-round picks again just to create space. From what I read from the Houston side of things, Washington and Garuba didn't really get an opportunity to play that much. And what Houston did and a lot of teams in their situation improperly do they stack first-round picks in a rebuild. They stack them, they stack them, they stack them. They have three or four in this draft. And then they just take all of these guys, and then they don't give them enough time to develop, and then they eventually run out of room. And now Houston decides, hey, we want to be good. And it's like, well, you're starting Fred Van Vliet, Jalen Green, Dylan Brooks, Jabari Smith Jr., and Alpern Shengun. Your bench is Tari Eason, who I really like. It's Amon Thompson, who I really like. It's Jock Landale, who I like, but it's... You're still going to be a 25 to 30 win team in the West, especially with that kind of group. Let's talk about contenders more so, Kevin. Yeah. I, someone needs to talk about what the Lakers did, and someone needs to talk about the, what the Clippers did. Who do you want to be in this exercise? Let me go to the Lakers. Gabe Vincent. Ooh. Great run to the finals with the Heat. 
We talked about him as a potential MLE target for the and Suns. He actually did not get dollars. did not get even overpaid. So that was a I thought that was a really good deal for them. And again, one of the better deals that signed. I agree. So they bring back him, or sorry, they sign him, bring back D'Lo. That's going to be a nice one-two. Like maybe D'Lo's overpaid a little bit. I, I don't really hate D'Lo that much at all. Um, but they have options now. Bring back Austin Reeves. Great Morgan. move. Four for 56. Also I think a great value, yeah. I think he's worth at least $20 million a year, but there were dynamics of his contract where the Lakers could only pay him up to 56 over four years. I think on the open market as a re- unrestricted free agent or in a situation where he clearly wanted to go at least to get more money, I think the Lakers were scared someone was going to give him four for 98, and then people were talking about the Lakers still matching that, and they got him for nearly half that. It's a bargain. He's very good. Another bargain. I don't know why the Timberwolves got rid of Torian Prince. There must be something to that beyond. They replaced him with Troy Brown. What are they doing? They basically swapped them then. Um, so one year, $4.5 million. So um, those exceptions that we were talking about for weeks going into this, the MLE, they used it on Gabe Vincent and the taxpayer, mid- or the biannual, I'm sorry, they used it on Torian Prince. Two good moves. Brewie, three for 51, eh? Eh. Uh, I, I guess I'm. his stock went up when he was on the Lakers. Again, like the Wizards, guys, there's a little little positive move there when you go to a good team. That's sure. not the Wizards. Um, but their top seven, Kevin, is really good. Yeah, and, and Braun and AD, like at the end of the season, we thought Braun dropped the, what do you say, I'd have to think about next year. Like, wait, what? You might you might retire or something, bud. I thought you wanted to play with your son, and I don't know if that was like just some calculated, hey, Polinka, get your stuff together. We got to do stuff. There was an ESPN post of the first mock draft for 2024, and it was Bronny going to Atlanta. And LeBron, I believe, either quote tweeted it or like posted on his IG story and was like, looks like we're going to ATL, gang. <laughs> He's like openly joking, but not really joking about it some more. Was Bronny going to USC before or after that? I don't even know in this timeline of my life. I don't know. After that. But I mean, okay. I, I think D'Lo, a point guard, is more of a wash. I think Vincent is the far better player. I think Gabe Vincent is a gosh darn gamer. Uh, like just flat out, I think he's really good. I think the shooting numbers, even if he shoots thirty four percent from three, I just think he's really good. I think that he is just really established himself, and him at that price is a bargain. Guess what? The Lakers just get to do this. They get to get Austin Reeves for forty percent less money than he should have gotten. They get to get Gabe Vincent for thirty percent less money than they should have. Gotten. It just happens to them. It happens all the time. D'Lo two for thirty seven with a player option, meaning he becomes a bigger scale tradable contract. If there's some kind of extra wing out there, like so, they've got Vanderbilt. They've They've got Torian Prince. They've got Rui. If they want to add another wing or if they want to go get another center, perhaps they can attach D'Lo to one more contract and go get that guy. I thought that was smart business more so than just a basketball move. I'll move on to the L.A. Clippers. Sneaky good weekend for them. Yeah. I don't know how you watch that playoff series. The Suns played against the Clippers and say that Russ Westbrook is worth $4 million a year, but that's what he got. He was sensational, and I don't care how bad his lows were. Not only in that series, but over the regular season, he was legitimately pretty good for the Clippers overall heading into that series. Like we talked about, we talked about for, I keep saying for weeks, but for that one week when you and I are joining shows, we were telling people, take him more seriously. He is still a very good basketball player when everything's coming together. And it did the defensive highlights that he showed KJ Martin. We just brought him up earlier. They were the team that got him and they were a team where and Robert Covington, Nick Patel, <laughs> I don't know. Marcus Morris. Their Norman knees don't Powell, work. I don't Collectively know. Collectively don't work. Love KJ Martin there. I think Nakai's pointed out, and I could, he's 
tweeted it and I was like, oh, yeah, that doesn't make sense. Is He's not sure how much Ty Lue is going to play him. And I think what he, what he means by that and what I took away from it is like stylistic fit. How much can he be trustworthy for an experienced, really good coach? I'm not really sure, but they need to try and maximize him. They don't play young guys a ton. And then Mason Plumlee was someone Gambo is bringing up as a potential MLE target for the Suns if they were looking to get another center. And he goes one for five, again, takes a discount there. He could have gotten more money elsewhere. So while the Clippers still have a huge Paul George, Kawhi Leonard problem to figure out, I like the pieces that they, they retained. Russ and Plumlee, I didn't think they were going to be able to do both of those. Yeah. And then they bring in KJ Martin for nothing. Two second-round picks is absolutely nothing. Is there anything else from the West that really jumped out to you if you're th- thinking we haven't talked the Warriors yet? Oh. Well, we talked Jordan Poole for Chris Paul. They signed Corey Joseph, and their wing rotation, I guess, is going to involve a lot of Jonathan Kaminga. Since we since we departed last week, and this is our first show on this whole brand, you know, streaming radio station situation, uh, Kyrie Irving not going to the Phoenix Suns. I don't think he visited with the Phoenix Suns, Kellen. What? <laughs> uh, he's back. Are with, you saying their their reservation uh, at Stake Forty Four Ocean Forty Seven, whatever that's you could have gone in that reserved if you were on open it got table. Canceled. Yeah, you could have you could have popped in there in that open table reservation. What's that place up. called, Aaron? What am I missing? Ocean 44, Stake 44. 44. Stake 44. Whatever. (laughs) Both a thing. (laughs) The place Kyrie Irving was not, shockingly. Oh my gosh. I'm so surprised. Uh, I'm just bringing that up because he's back with the Dallas Mavericks and uh, they didn't really do much. They added Keep an eye on. We're going to be talking about next segment to close the show what's going on, Kevin, for the rest of the week. I think Dallas still needs to add a wing and they're looking right now. I think that they're still trying to figure that out. Uh, we'll talk next segment, some loose scraps. I really liked what the Kings did, even if they could have done something bigger. They still kind of kept it small. I kind of didn't mind the Blazers giving Jeremy Grant five for 160. I'll say it out loud because they just retain the guy and like you lose him for nothing or just bring him back during the rebuild and then trade him in two years or a year. Makes sense to me if he reestablishes his value a bit. No one really made ground, Kevin, and that's where we can kind of end the segment and move on, is that no one really took huge strides forward. I think the Lakers were already a very good team coming into this. Remember, they made the Western Conference Finals. They were arguably the second or third best team in the West coming into the postseason anyway. I think that they got better. Did they get much, much better? I just think they got better in the way that the Suns did as well. The Grizzlies are just going to keep starting a 22-year-old as their small forward forever for eternity, I guess. Keep an eye on them in the next week or two, but I'm not really sure uh, beyond that. But we're only on July 3rd, Kevin. There is plenty of stuff going on. Could Damian Lillard get traded? It seems like he will. Will James Harden get traded? We'll close the show there. That's next, Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. This is an Arizona sports special. Empire of the Suns with Kellen Olson and Kevin Zimmerman. Arizona sports, the local sports leader. Thanks a lot, Jim. We're here. Kevin Zimmerman is alongside me. My name is Kellen Olson, Empire of the Suns podcast. We both write for ArizonaSports.com, cover the Phoenix Suns. Free agency special here on July 3rd, day before the 4th. Hope you are having a nice holiday weekend and are going to celebrate our great country in a safe manner tonight and tomorrow. Hey, buddy, let's not get safe. Let's get a little loose here. Let's go crazy. <laughs> let's talk about what could still happen in this free agency period. You ready to get through it on the show? Yeah. Damian Lillard requesting a trade, I guess. I don't really want to go into the specifics of how it happened, why it happened, whatever. He is going to leave. He wants to go to Miami. The Portland Trailblazers are in a position to be like, well, no, <laughs> because... Tyler Hero, Jaime Jaquez, Nikola Jovic, two first-round picks is a garbage return compared to what superstars go for. And I think because of Damien's nature and the Portland's nature, 
What I mean by this is a little bit of an under-the-radar superstar, a little bit of an under-the-radar organization up there in the Pacific Northwest. He is one of the 10 best basketball players on planet Earth, is still playing in his prime, and he should go for far more than that. So it's like, okay, can the Brooklyn Nets get involved? Is there another team at all that makes sense beyond those two? Or is Portland going to abide by a guy who is their greatest franchise player of all time and let him go there, James Harden, Right before the start of free agency or at the start of free agency, I can't remember exactly. I think it was during our show on Friday where he is opting into his player option, but he is doing so to get traded. We just talked about the Clippers. They were a team that made sense, but Russell Westbrook's back. So if James Harden comes in, does Russell Westbrook come off the bench? Do they start those two guys and the other two wings in a big what exactly would it look like in New York, who has been mentioned, which taking the ball out of Jalen Brunson's hand is one of the more <laughs> dumber things I've heard rumored in a long time that apparently has some juice to it. But the Knicks, known for stupidity over the course of their uh, tenure here in the association, anything jump out to you there, Kevin, out of those two superstars, what we're looking for over the next couple of weeks? The first thing is when you look at what Bradley Beal got traded for and it looked like a great steal for the Suns. Yes, they gave up a bunch of second round picks and swaps or whatever. He was a superstar who was in good standing with his organization. They wanted to move on, turn the page, and didn't get much for him and and did the right thing, went to a team. Obviously, there was no trade clause that made it completely possible where he had to okay it. Um, So that matters in this, but it's, it's kind of the same thing with Dame. It's like, okay, if we want to move you to a team that you want to go to, those teams don't necessarily even have the best haul that we're going to get back. So maybe they do just take less but also if you look at the nets for example training dame there he wants to go there to play with mikhail bridges he wants to go there to play with cam johnson and that supporting cast how do you even move enough pieces to even get in the ballpark to make him want to go there and play for a competitive team so i just see it's really tight and the leverage is really to me with those teams where they 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 need to get something good back, and it just doesn't look great, and there's good reason to, I don't know, ask for a little more, even though he, he wants they want to do right by him, and their statement was kind of both. We want to be competitive was in it, and we also want to do right by Dame, and those two things are not going to go well together. This has to be a celebrity pickleball tournament, right? Like, the, this isn't the premier people in the sport. No shot. I don't know any of these There's names. There's just such little movement going on. Like, they're definitely skilled at what they're doing, and I cannot do it. I'm not being that person. But have you seen a handball goalie before? They literally just stand there and wave their arms. Like, there's a skill to it, I'm sure. There are some They're like six foot seven or something, That make them Olympic-level athletes. But this compared to ten, like tennis players, like the amount of explosion they have in their legs, like there's just it's doubles too. So maybe the courts now grimace is on. Now grimace is on, and that's a bad omen for the where this show is headed. Oh my goodness! The <laughs> so remaining free agents out there. Most of the marquee names are off. As expected, some restricted free agents are hanging out there. Grant Williams is someone who a lot of people... Um, Grant Williams is fine to me, but a lot of people believe that he could be like a starting caliber, really good wing on a great team. Not sure if I go that far. P.J. Washington is like a, hey, how much was Hornets? were the Hornets screwing you up guy? Interesting to look at. as a skill set. Kelly Oubre, former friend we mentioned. Christian Wood, that did not go well in Dallas. I loved that move at the time, and I'm a stupid moron. Matisse Seibel. Went to Portland. He's a restricted for Asian. My favorite name among this list. Your favorite as well, Ayo Desumu. I think he's legitimately going to be a really good NBA guard, and someone's going to steal him from Chicago. Malik Beasley just went to the Bucks, so he's off the board. Paul Reed was one of the best backup fives in the league last year. Restricted, though, and our friend, Dario Sarge, uh, over there. Looked like he just fit in well with what OKC did. 
and went from there. To conclude the show, Kevin, let's get super nerdy and look at some of the more under-the-radar moves that happened. I will start first. Speaking of OKC, they brought over Vasile Micic, who went, I believe, 52nd overall in the 2014 NBA draft. It takes him nine years to get here. Philly moved him two years ago, three years ago, his draft rights, and then he was already a very established European player by then, but quickly went on to be arguably the best player in EuroLeague over the last two to three years. He comes over, and let me know if you've heard of this in OKC before, Kevin. He's big, he's really smart, and he's really skilled. They just keep getting guys like that. They bring him over. I really like OKC next year to make a jump. I did this with the Pelicans a year ago, and it didn't turn out well, but I'm going to double down probably with some Thunder Buzz. Another one coming over, the EuroLeague MVP from this season is Sasha Vezinkov, who goes to the Kings. We were looking at them to do something more explosive. Instead, they just kind of did what good teams should do. Resigned Harrison Barnes, extension for Sabonis, brought back Lyles, brought back Len. And then Vezinkov comes in as the third wing. Really unique dynamic with him, Kevin, a player we're going to get to know a lot more of over the next two to three years as he plays an important role for Sacramento. At one point in his EuroLeague season where he was an MVP, he scored 275 points while taking 26 dribbles. He's a very unique star in in Europe, at least, in that he's an off-ball star. Like, you don't include him in actions that much. If he gets the ball, he's barely going to dribble. He's not attacking the rim at will. He's an extremely good cutter, so you know what the pace that Sacramento plays with. De'Aaron Fox finding the cutters. Sabonis as a passer, as an offensive hub. Him as just a shooter. The way that he was defended in Europe is just not going to happen in the NBA, so that's really great to see. What did you like across the league? What was one thing that popped out to you? Utah Jazz. Do you remember that Brian Windhorst did the meme? What's going on in Utah? What's going on in Atlanta? When Royce O'Neal was traded to the Nets. What's going on? Okay, so they got John Collins. For nothing. For nothing from the Hawks. Finally, we don't have to talk about him maybe being traded from the Hawks. He's pretty good at basketball. Jordan Clarkson comes back. Now, those two are like meh moves maybe NBA-wide. They don't move the needle a ton, but they're in this... Weird area with Danny Ainge, who has built big, big deal teams before, mm-hmm. where they're going to be competitive once again. They know they have a system now. They believe in their coach now. They add a couple good players, I guess, retain one, and they're in the. Do they make a big swing move? Like they're on the radar for that right now to add to this. So I think that when I start putting the pieces together of where they are in a rebuild, they're intriguing to me. One quick one, Indiana. Bruce Brown, love that for them. Tyrese Halliburton, I think, is one of the best players in basketball. Ben Matherin, we saw some real things go really well for him in his rookie year. They got Obi Toppin for pennies. Another guy that went for second-round picks, I think that he's good. They've got a sneaky 7-8 man rotation that's pretty solid. I think the east and the mid to low tier is kind of meh, and then they'll be good there. That's it for us, buddy. This was a pleasure. My two great friends, Aaron Maloney and Kevin Zerman, to do it along here. The Empire of the Suns live edition of the show. Thank you so much, and keep listening, folks. The show will be back. The shows, excuse me, will be back on Wednesday. We'll hear from Bickley Murata then. We'll talk to you then.